Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. As we begin a new year, barring our death this year, you might say God has deposited another 8,760 hours in our 2022 bank account. Those hours really are the measure of our lives. When the bank account hits zero, the race marked out for us is over. And we don't have the option of stopping time. Every day as the globe turns on its axis, 24 of them are spent. Leading Moses, I guess, to pray, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain wisdom. What is the best strategy to ensure that we spend those hours wisely? The days flash by us relentlessly, and I don't know any Christian man who wants to aimlessly just watch his life go by. No one wants to waste his life. This episode examines two biblical principles to prevent that from happening in 2022, which sadly, I don't think are being followed by too many believers. for joining us today for Season 3, Episode Number 1 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. One of the first principles for not wasting our lives is being intentional about directing them. That means not ad-libbing, vacating the driver's seat of our lives, or expending the precious hours of our lives aimlessly. Biblical discipleship really is about intentionality. When I attended seminary, I discovered that Bible-believing scholars who study Christian history make a distinction between what they call nominal Christians and those who have gone through the conversion experience of coming to the Christian faith, which requires repentance and faith. Nominal Christians might be called cultural Christians. They have been shaped by Christian values, might go to church, perhaps even give mental assent to belief in the resurrection. But without repenting and putting their personal trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, the New Testament teaching is that they are not true believers. So when you stop and think about the difference between a nominal Christian and a real born-of-the-spirit Christian, the difference is intentionality. Even true believers raised in Christian homes who can't point to some specific date at some point made a decision to trust Christ for salvation, to make him their Lord, to become Christ followers. The Christian life not only begins with an intentional decision to follow Christ, it continues through intentionality. As we say on this podcast, we have said yes to Jesus' call to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to seek to be like him, and to embrace Jesus' cause of spreading his kingdom of rightness, righteousness, over earth. Living this way does not happen randomly. It takes intentionality. It takes staying focused. For example, listen to the way Jesus closed his famous Sermon on the Mount with a focus on seeking to put into practice what he had just taught. Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Notice that putting Jesus' words into practice is compared to building a house. I don't just want hearers of the word, says Jesus. I want you to be intentional about applying my teaching in your life. Earlier in this chapter, when addressing the need for his followers to get the help they need from God, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Your intentional, deliberate pursuits of my kingdom life will be rewarded, says Jesus. Your prayers will be answered. Deciding to follow me is not a one-and-done experience. It requires steering your life in a specific direction, aiming at something, avoiding distractions, pursuing goals, staying focused. Successful businesses usually follow a business plan. Successful football teams execute the game plan. Even successful Christmas shopping usually takes writing out a list, at least for me. Successfully stretching the dollars to pay the bills usually requires a financial plan called a budget. Successful essay answers require taking a few minutes initially to think through the question and plan your answer. Even the carpenter's rule of thumb, measure twice, cut once, emphasizes planning. It is ironic that most Christians have a plan, whether written or in their heads, for accomplishing nearly every part of their lives, except answering Christ's call to discipleship. Several years ago, I read No Easy Day about SEAL Team 6's mission to deliver justice to Osama bin Laden. It was enlightening to hear how much planning was done in preparation for this mission. In fact, part of that planning was the building of a mock-up of bin Laden's compound that sat on a five-foot-by-five-foot plywood base. Mark Owens writes, The model showed bin Laden's house in amazing detail, right down to the small trees in the courtyard and cars in the driveway and on the road that ran along the north side of the compound. It also had the location of the compound's gates and doors, water tanks on the roof, and even concertina wire running along the top of the wall. Grass covered the main courtyard. Even the neighbors' houses and fields were rendered in almost exact detail. Our special forces are notorious for planning and training for their missions in excruciating detail. Is the mission that each one of us was created for before time began less important? or more easily accomplished? Our mission as Christ followers is to seek first the kingdom of God, following Christ's agenda for our heart loyalties, for our heart attitudes, in our role as husband, father, employee, employer, neighbor, church member, steward of resources, ambassador of the kingdom, cannot be accomplished without devoting time to formulating that mission plan. Now, it's true that we do not see Peter, James, John, or Andrew with a notebook planning how to love their neighbor as Jesus taught, or making notes about the respectful way Jesus treated women. They didn't have to plan their mission. They were connected to Jesus constantly as they did life together. They probably became like Jesus somewhat by just being with him so much and watching him. 
Furthermore, they were accompanying Jesus on his mission as he spread restoration over Palestine in his healing and teaching. But Jesus was physically present with them. He is not with us. So to shape our lives, according to Jesus' teaching, for us means shutting out the crazy, busy, physical world, getting alone with God, processing our calling, thinking about Jesus' teaching, noticing where we don't measure up, and adjusting our lives. In other words, we need time alone with our commander-in-chief, looking into his book, with him looking over our shoulder to encourage us when we actually do something right— to stir our loyalty to him, to fight harder and form a better strategy for next time. It's true that SEAL Team 6 members say nothing ever goes according to plan, but those same members would never try to accomplish their mission without a plan. Too many lives might be lost. Their success is based on the adage, if you fail to plan, plan to fail. The first biblical principle for not wasting our lives is recognizing that faithful allegiance to Jesus as his disciple requires intentionality through and through. It is not accidental, random, or unplanned. But in our hectic, exhausting lives, where can we possibly find any more time to try to meet with our commander-in-chief to reflect upon the upcoming weekly mission he has laid out for us? Well, maybe it's in plain sight. Let's look at God's maintenance plan to renew, refresh, and re-energize us. The owner of a limousine service was interviewed about his cost in keeping his limos on the road. When asked how many miles he expected to get from the most recent limo he'd purchased, he answered, I expect to get about 400,000 miles out of this engine without any major repairs. I got 400,000 out of the last one, and I think this is a better car to begin with. The interviewer asked, well, how do you get all those miles out of your vehicles? The limo owner answered in one word, maintenance. And he began to explain his whole schedule of maintenance for his vehicles. From creation, God has had a maintenance plan for his people to keep them physically refreshed and spiritually renewed. In fact, it is one of the Ten Commandments given in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sadly, this fabulous renewal principle that God built into creation has been largely lost for one of two reasons. Either it is ignored because Christians cast it off as only an Old Testament pattern, or Christians become horribly legalistic about it, turning it into a tyrant who demands that they be extremely careful in what they do on Sunday, lest they offend a holy God. To extricate this glorious Sabbath principle from the morass of legalism and neglect that have surrounded it, Let's look at God's development of the Sabbath principle in the history of Revelation. First, we have the Exodus Sabbath from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. The fourth, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Part of the complexity of understanding how to apply the fourth commandment is that it is partly ceremonial law, which Hebrews tells us was already fulfilled in Christ. It is partly civil law from a theocracy where breaking the Sabbath day was punishable by death and keeping the Sabbath like circumcision was a sign of the covenant. But it was also part of the moral law. The fourth commandment is found alongside you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, which is part of the moral law that continues into the New Testament era. A whole nation, though, resting on the Sabbath was one thing in the Old Testament theocracy. But in the New Testament, God's people are commanded to go out into the nations of the world and given a new sign, baptism, which does not connote being Abraham's physical descendant like circumcision, but a spiritual descendant. Next, we see what might be called the Deuteronomy Sabbath. Forty years after first giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus, Moses repeats them as Israel is about to enter the Promised Land. Here, to the Fourth Commandment are added the words, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The enslavement of God's covenant people in Egypt and subsequent rescue by Joshua is a type, a physical picture of the spiritual reality that Jesus, whose name was Joshua, redeems us from slavery to sin. We now rest in Christ. We don't work for our salvation. So here, the Sabbath day becomes a day not just to celebrate creation, but redemption. And the author to the Hebrews builds on this concept, saying, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Next, we want to look at the corrupted Sabbath. When Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple and took the best and brightest of Jerusalem's inhabitants to Babylon, the Jewish religious leaders understood through the prophets that this captivity was God's judgment on them for their sin. Author Bruce Ray explains, The just shall live by faith is an Old Testament saying, Habakkuk 2.4. But many Jews began to believe that they could save themselves by keeping God's law. After all, they reasoned, they lived in exile because they had broken the law. Now, if they only kept the law, they could save themselves. They didn't need God's grace. The effects of this kind of thinking on the Sabbath were tragic. Keeping the Sabbath became one of the works that people must do to be saved. Therefore, the elders and rabbis became obsessed with telling people what they could and could not do on the Sabbath. The spirit and intent of the law became lost in a sea of legalistic technicalities. The contributions of these exiled religious leaders constituted the oral tradition that then became the Talmud. Bruce Ray, in his book Celebrating the Sabbath, continues, The tractate entitled Shabbat 
in the Talmud lists 39 categories of work that are prohibited on the Sabbath. Each one of these categories is further subdivided into 39 sections, making over 1,500 rules that must be kept. On this twisted and distorted Sabbath, for example, it was forbidden to unfasten a button, cut your toenails, or carry anything heavier than a dried fig. A man could not wear false teeth because if they fell out, he would have to carry them, and that would be work. A tailor could not carry a needle in his pocket because that was one of the tools of his trade, so carrying it would be work. Well, praise God for the next iteration of the Sabbath, Jesus' liberation of the Sabbath. Following the Talmud, the spiritual leaders of Jesus' day turned the Sabbath day, which God had appointed as a blessing for mankind, a day of rest, worship, joy, celebration, and spiritual renewal into an oppressive, restrictive tyranny. By the way, that is what Satan does with all of God's commands, which are all for our benefit. In at least six different New Testament settings, Jesus or his disciples defy the scribal teachings about keeping the Sabbath. Jesus instead taught the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, what about the New Testament Sabbath, the day of resurrection, which is called the Lord's Day? The New Testament church changed the day of worship to Sunday, the first day of the week, to celebrate Christ's resurrection. And there's great significance in this decision. We begin our work week by resting in what Christ has already done for us. And his resurrection does not just have significance for us when we die. The same resurrection power by which Christ defeated Satan, sin, and death is available to us in our spiritual battle. Paul says this power is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In the first century, the first day of the week was a work day, like our Monday. So the early church gathered before or after work. See an example of that in Acts 20, verse 7. They did not interpret the fourth commandment as prohibiting work on the Lord's Day. There is no historical evidence of a Christian revolt against working on the first day of the work week. It is not, in fact, until Constantine that the first day of the week, Sunday, became a day off from work. So how are we to understand the Sabbath principle, God's renewal plan, for today's Christians? Here are one flawed man's thoughts. First, I take one day off from work in seven. I may adjust what day it is, but out of conviction, I don't work for our ministry seven days in a row. Second, when God follows his six days of work with rest and seems to want us to do the same, I think it indicates enjoying his creation with him. I think that's what he did on the seventh day. So recreational activities, even on Sunday, seem more than appropriate. But so is extra time with God to enjoy him, which is the third point. And talking about my work within his creation of exercising dominion, of accomplishing my mission. For over 40 years, it's been my habit to devote an hour or an afternoon to my personal spiritual growth, sharpening the saw and focusing on my mission Sunday afternoon, evening or Monday morning. 
So these applications are under the creation principle of renewal. What about setting the Lord's Day apart? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. First, I believe it honors Christ by setting apart the Lord's Day as special in honor of his resurrection. In fact, I believe this was the real intent of the fourth commandment, making one day in seven special to the Lord. Number two, so I normally try to get my chores done on Saturday, but I do not believe that this commandment creates any absolute prohibition of work if a boss schedules a Sunday meeting or something to that effect. Third, believers should not forsake the assembling of themselves together in worship on the day of resurrection. And this is easier in our culture where it is a day off from work. When I'm traveling or for some reason can't attend a worship service, I still try to set apart to make special somehow the Lord's Day. Fourth, being the day of the resurrection, it seems like the ideal day to think about how we can employ the resurrection power of Christ in our mission to spread Christ's agenda of righteousness over every sphere of our lives. To summarize this episode, as the hours of our lives inexorably escape from our bank account, it is worth considering two perspectives that can help us get to the end of 2022 and hear well done from the master I gave you 8,760 hours, and you invested them well. These two truths are, first, that discipleship, like conversion, takes intentionality. And second, that God has ordained a maintenance plan to guarantee us the opportunity to renew, refresh, re-energize, and refocus if we follow the plan. The reason this wonderful gift of Sabbath from God is not treasured is that as Satan does with all God's commands, he has succeeded in making Christians feel like this principle is restrictive and tyrannical. When we get to the bottom of the fourth commandment, though, we realize that God is saying, I want you to go hard for six days. You are made in my image to be a worker. But God also says, I don't want you working so hard to develop my creation that you don't take time to enjoy my creation and me. I give you the gift of one day in seven to celebrate, renew, and enjoy the blessing that my creation is. As I have struggled to apply the Sabbath principle, it falls into two parts for me, the creation ordinance that every six days I need emotional, physical, and spiritual rest. Secondly, the principle of a day set apart from the others to celebrate God and his work. That seems consistent with the special way the New Testament church set apart Sunday as the first day of the week, celebrating Christ's resurrection and his resurrection power at work in believers. Above all, our view of the Lord's Day must be shaped by Jesus' perspective. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is a wonderful gift. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you answer the question, why is intentionality such a big part of Christian discipleship? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. 
This index link is also in the show notes of every podcast. Next week's message begins a new five-week series, Helping Christian Men Build a Biblical Worldview Like David's Men of Valor, who are described in Scripture as men who, quote-unquote, understood their times. How can men in this cultural moment understand biblically the messages our loved ones are hearing and guide them and the rest of the culture into biblical truth? Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that might help them stay focused on their mission from Christ and equip them and inspire them as they commute or work out.